You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and I'm always glad that you've joined us. I'm live in the dining room of the Grand Hotel on Mackinac Island for the Mackinac Policy Conference, talking with business and political leaders about the issues that they have gathered here to try to help solve. Uh, There are, of course, a lot of issues swirling around this year's conference, roads in the budget, education and investment, Congress and the president. But there's at least one issue that could throw a really big monkey wrench into the entire way Michigan politics operates. That's whether or not we will soon be required to redraw many of our congressional and state legislative district lines before the 2020 election. And then, of course, after 2020, we will be completely overhauling that line drawing process and doing it again in advance of the 2022 elections. The person who is at the center of all of that is Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson, and she joins me now to talk about that issue. Jocelyn, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. Yeah. So before we get to gerrymandering, I want to get to an announcement that you made today that every Secretary of State branch in the state will soon give people the ability to schedule appointments ahead of time, Mm -hmm. something that I didn't know this, that's only available now at some branches. I thought this was kind of statewide. No, and one of the things I saw when I traveled around the state was that if you did make an appointment ahead of time, you could easily get in and out in under 30 minutes, but we don't don't have enough offices that offer appointments, and we don't have enough appointments available at those offices. So this changes that and expands appointment options throughout our state so that people can have more opportunities to plan ahead, make an appointment, and get uh, in and out of a branch office in 30 minutes or less. So I, I always ask this question of every Secretary of State. I don't think I've ever asked you this question. When are we going to be able to like go on our computers yeah. and do all of our business with our driver's licenses and our car license plates uh, and not have to go to the office at all? I want us to incrementally move in that direction in the years ahead, yeah. but the reality is there are still some transactions where you need a live person. You need to either verify your identity, you need to um, talk to someone, you may just have questions, there may be an error. So you always need that live contact. What I'm interested in is setting up and exploring is if there's a way to do that virtually. Just like you can now even see a doctor through you know amwell.com. And, and so you know can we set up almost a Skype-like system or a FaceTime where you can interact and scan and documents. And then the other thing I'm mindful of, however, that I also saw when I visited branch offices is creating a two-tiered system where people who have access to technology can take advantage of these more convenient programs. And then people who don't have access to that technology or don't trust it are left behind in the antiquated branch offices that have less resources. So I'm mindful of that as well in time looking at both pieces and how we can advance and use technology, but ensure everyone has so opportunities for good service. Okay, let's talk about gerrymandering. Uh, The Supreme Court, I don't think this was a terrible surprise, uh, issued a stay recently uh, in the judgment that Michigan had to redraw all of these lines before 2020. First, talk about uh, the the, the process here, like what, what happens next and how likely is it that we will uh, that we'll end up having to do that anyway? Well, the interesting thing is you have a number of states where the federal courts have found that partisanship was used too extensively in the drawing of district lines, Michigan, Ohio, and that is why this has now reached the Supreme Court. Uh, and so uh, we'll, we'll see what they decide. Uh, there's a, you know, this is, um, is since the 1950s, these cases like this have come before the court. Uh, what I'm most concerned of now is just reaching a swift resolution in the case so that we know 
what to expect and how to prepare for the 2020 elections. And then also I'm shifting my focus to the next round of redistricting, which is going to be much more extensive and 10 years in the, in the, in, in play. Uh, and we've got uh, our first ever citizens commission that are going to be drawing that line. Yeah. And importantly, if the court do order does stand and we do need to have new maps for 2020, it's the legislature who will redraw those districts. And so I hope that they are starting already that process so that we're ready to hit the ground running if and when we have to implement those maps. So, so I mean, it, it makes my head hurt uh, mm -hmm. to think about having to do all of this in such a, a, a tight window yeah. and uh, to, to have to sort of honor two different approaches. Yeah. If we redraw before 2020, mm -hmm. that's still under the old yep. system. And so the legislature, is that right, yes. would, would get to do that. Yes. Uh, and then the governor would have the, the, the sort yes. of final say over it. And then, of course, after 2020, after the next census, uh, yeah. we will have the citizen commission yep. uh, do it. Is it too much chaos? I mean, yeah, and everything's overlapping. I mean, so you've got um, two elections, 2020 and 2022. In 2020, uh, the legislature and the governor have to agree on a map by August 1st. And if they don't do that, the court's going to redraw a map. And that's just applying to 2020. Right. Everything starts over again after the census is, uh, occurs next year. And we have new counts, new, new numbers for every district. And so they have to be redrawn. And they'll be redrawn in a, a new way. And, and my biggest responsibility is that process and making sure that that's successful. So I'm waiting to see what the Supreme Court decides. We'll work to implement whatever changes we have to and, and yeah. educate our voters effectively. Uh, but to minimize the chaos in our own office, we're focused entirely almost on the setting up the redistricting commission for the years ahead. So, um, uh, you know, this, this process that, that we have coming up, I think people are somewhat excited uh, about that. Um, mm -hmm. I hope so. I, I think. We, we need citizens to apply. <laughs> they can go to redistrictingmichigan.org to get But I think some people are still confused about it. I yeah, think some people and people don't think really I understand. select them. No, it's well, a random process. I've heard that, right? Yeah, I've, heard, I've, I've had people ask me, can I, I be like, on it? Like, I, you can apply. <laughs> I feel like someone called the show recently yeah. uh, and suggested that you have more yeah. control over this process yeah. uh, than, and, than the citizens will. And frankly, I feel like that's why we're having such a hard time with the legislature getting this fully funded. Funded because there's this misconception that I have some sort of subjective or influential role in, in the process when I'm just the administrator. And I'm I'm suited for that role because that's the work I've, you know, I like to set up the infrastructure and then we let the citizens' voices decide. That's what democracy is. So I'm excited to implement this well, but, but clarifying that misinformation and, and saying citizens can apply, it's a random selection process, uh, and then it, the legislature will have an opportunity to subjectively evaluate whether they want to take people out of the process who um, who come through it and then after that veto procedure happens we will have another random selection process and out of that the 13 will be selected yeah. so we've set up a website redistrictingmichigan.org for sort of lays out the process but uh, but yeah the number of people even in the legislature who've said um, you know are, are you going to be selecting or are you going to be drawing the maps <laughs> yourself it's sort of that's not the whole process that's not and, how we're doing you know thank goodness we had citizens lead this effort because because of the voters not politicians effort there is a grassroots network throughout the state that can help us in educating the citizens about their role in this yeah. process. So, so, so back to this question about what happens in 2020. You know, you offered a much less expansive yeah, redraw uh, as a settlement to, to the Republicans uh, before the, the ruling came out. I mean, you, you have to 
I guess at this point be kind of saying, I told you so. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I, I did directly say we should have accepted that settlement, in part because it would have given us clarity. It was, you know, minimal um, uh, changes, and it would have ended this. It would have saved the state money. Uh, that's what we were trying to do at the time. That's what I was trying to do with the settlement. But, you know, regardless, the court found that all the maps are unconstitutional. They all need to be redrawn. And now we're in a process of waiting and seeing uh, what the Supreme Court rules with regards to all these cases across the country, and then we'll move forward from there. Yeah. So, so you have been working on this issue and talking about this issue for a really long time yeah. and far earlier, really, than uh, the national conversation, mm. which seems to, to now really be in high gear. You have a lot of states that are saying this just doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, and, and you've got these cases, as you point out, in uh -huh. several states challenging the maps that were drawn 10 years ago. Um, talk about sort of the evolution of this mm. narrative over that time. When, when you and I first yeah. had this conversation, I don't think people even understood very well what gerrymandering was or yeah. the effect that it has now. It's more of a, it's, it's a far more familiar issue for folks. It is because the problems have become much more egregious. Uh, we've seen actually what, when we look at the districts and we think it doesn't make any sense to have Pontiac in the same district as Southwest Detroit and, <laughs> and see, you know, Farmington and Farmington, Farmington City and Farmington Hills carved out into two separate districts. There's something going on there. And the federal court agreed. Uh, they found it unconstitutional, an effort to undermine the will of the voters in violation of their constitutional rights. So that's, that's critical. And I think that is what ca has caused more citizens to care so much that they amended our state constitution right. to end the gerrymandering um, conflicts that we have had in this state. And so what we've now got in Michigan is an opportunity to have a citizen districting commission to do it well, to do it right, and to lead other states in following suit. So that's my hope with this. Uh, but it will only, the first step is making sure it will only work if more citizens are involved in it. So I hope um, we, ha we see hundreds of thousands of people apply to serve on it. It will be a random selection process, and we're going to do everything we can to educate those ultimately selected to ensure they're ready to do the job. Uh, my guest is Jocelyn Benson, the Secretary of State here in the state of Michigan. We're talking at the Mackinac Policy conference uh, about the work that she is doing both in terms of the branches that uh, we all interact with to get our driver's licenses and license plates uh, but also election oversight which is an important part of her office uh, recently you were one of 20 secretaries of state from across the country who went to Alabama to yeah. discuss uh, historical struggles for civil rights and voting rights you also reenacted the yeah. walk across the Edmund Pettus Bridge, yeah. which I think is so cool. Yeah, um, talk about uh, talk about that experience. I mean, it was so. I've every year um, I did this myself when I was in college. I went down there and I was moved by the sacred ground in Selma. You just sort of feel the sacrifices that were made there, so that we could have a Voting Rights Act. That's what led to my career in in this work, and so I wanted all of my colleagues to experience that. And so I partnered with the Alabama Secretary of State uh, to lead a bipartisan group of secretaries. We had twenty secretaries, 12 Republicans and 8 Democrats, uh, secretaries from Louisiana, Georgia, Alaska, Washington, um, Maine, New Hampshire, all came down. Uh, it was And, and we, we walked across the bridge with the Viola Liuzzo's family. Yeah. Uh, her daughter, yeah. uh, her grandson uh, from Detroit, you know, lost her life right there. We went to visit where she was killed. And uh, I had um, secretaries of state, Republican secretaries of state say to me, now I understand 
the challenges of voter suppression. Now I understand the history more, and that was my hope. Um, and also just to build a common um, sort of goal. And uh, you know, I'll just say, after we walked across the bridge, we went and we talked with Dr. Bernard Lafayette, who was one of the organizers of the march. And we ended the trip by linking hands and singing, "We shall overcome." I mean, it was it was a tremendous. It gives me goosebumps even just thinking about it. To have secretaries of state from both sides of the aisle coming together with a common understanding of our role in furthering that uh, that constitutional mandate of one person, one vote. Yeah, yeah. Uh, talk about what the state's doing right now to make sure that the next election is secure, given what we know about the level of interference yeah. and desire to interfere in elections across the country, and and given the, the, the changes. Mm -hmm. That's always what makes me a little nervous, is that when we have these reforms that people say, yeah, no, no, let's do this differently, yeah. it makes the system just a little more vulnerable that first time, I think. It does, and we saw in the May election, um, we've been working with our clerks to um, prepare them for really the three or four main changes after the Proposal 3 was adopted last fall, which are um, allowing people to register uh, up to and on Election Day, automatically registering citizens in our branch offices, allowing citizens to vote by mail, and having post-election audits. So we've created a, an advisory commission full of folks who've done this and implemented these changes in other states so they can come and educate us on what they learned, and also with local uh, elected election officials who can help uh, inform us on what their needs are. Are. Uh, I'm, I'm really optimistic based on our, the May elections that we're going to be in a good place next year uh, to have things run smoothly. Uh, but you, you never know uh, what could happen in an election. And so we've, we've, uh, it's almost like a chess game in which we got all the pieces in place. We're trying to, to map out the future moves on both sides uh, and really be prepared for Michigan to be at, at the, the heart of, of a storm in the 2020 presidential election cycle where we'll be a critical swing state. We'll have a lot of pressure on our state, on our voters uh, to, to do this right. Uh, and I'm confident that we've got election administrators in place throughout the state who are ready to do the job. So, so what's next on this sort of uh, path of election reform here in Michigan? As we said, we just passed a, a, a number of provisions yeah. that uh, we've been talking about for a long time. Are there other things we need to do to improve yes. voter access and efficiency and things like that? Well, yeah, there's uh, on the voter access and efficiency side, um, I still believe we should enable uh, pre-registration of 16 and 17-year-olds so that as soon as they start turn 18, they're registered and able to vote. Um, I'm going to be announcing shortly the creation of a youth advisory task force to help us on many levels prepare for our next generation of voters to en embrace our democracy, uh, mock elections in high schools and things like that. Uh, and so that that's, you know, focus on that is coming down the pipeline. Um, but I, I'm also um, very focused on the security aspect of our elections and making sure that we've got the best and brightest people here in Michigan advising us on how to secure our machines, our voter registration databases, and the ways which we transmission results to make sure those are, are secure and that voters can have confidence in them. Okay. All right. Jocelyn Benson, Secretary of State Thanks. here in Michigan. It's always great to see you. Yeah, you too. Good yeah. to see you. All right. Uh, up next, Senator Debbie Stabenow is going to join us to talk about what is happening on Capitol Hill and right here in Michigan. Stay with us on Detroit Today. Yes.